How you guys doing today? Nice. My name's Derek, and uh, I'm one of the associate pastors here. And uh, I, I work with our, our discipleship stuff, our small groups, and get to help with all that sort of thing. And man, it's good to be here today, especially this season, man. I love Christmas. It's a good time of year. Um, you know, I, before I, I get into the message, I, I got to celebrate the fact that John, uh, he was talking, he didn't even talk about this. He, he has been inviting people. And, you know, I've been out in the lobby, like, week after week, I've been meeting people that are like, yeah, John invited me. And so it's like, it, actually using our gifts, actually, man, it's, it's actually producing fruit. And it's cool. It's cool to see. Like, he didn't even say anything about that. I'm sure he didn't want to prop himself up, but I will. So, right? God is at work here. And it's fun just to be a part of that and to see what God's up to. And if you want to engage and use your gifts and be a part of this church and call this place your home, we've got this thing called Explore K2 right after service. We're going to have lunch. We have child care. So if you're curious about learning more about what it means to engage, if you want to get into the place where you would catch that ball of yarn, right, like John is talking about, I think you should be there. And uh, myself, Dave, several of the other uh, teaching pastors, we're going to be back there teaching that class after this service. So if, even if you didn't sign up, just come and show up. It's in the back of the lobby. There's signs to get there. If you can't figure out how to find it, come and talk to one of us. We'd love for you to get there. So you're invited. Know that. Okay, you guys ready to jump into the message? Yeah. Sweet. Well, I am excited about today because today uh, there's, there's a principle that we're going to look into that I believe will give you more freedom in your life. Who wants more freedom in their life? Right? I'm, okay, that's okay. Who wants more freedom in their life? Yeah, we all want more freedom in our life. And so we're actually looking at the way in which Jesus is going to come and bring freedom into your life. And, and so today we're, we're starting a new series into this Christmas season, this Advent season, when we're patiently expecting, patiently waiting for Jesus' arrival. And it's actually a cool story. There's a story of Mary waiting for the birth of Jesus. She's actually pregnant and she's, she writes a song. How many expecting mothers do we have out there? We, what? Nobody, okay. How many have been expecting mothers? How many have kids? All right. All right. You know what it's like to be pregnant and wanting to have this baby, right? And so she's pregnant, wanting to have this baby. She's staying at her aunt's house. And she's kind of writing a psalm about what God is going to do with this child that's going to be born here soon, Right? And so let's just read this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read out of Luke chapter 1, and then we'll, we'll talk about who Christmas is for after we read it here. Um, it's in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He has filled 
the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remember, to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is Mary's song. And uh, I, this is, it gives us an indication of what the Messiah came here to do. Uh, there's, there's three things that are talked about here. The Messiah came to scatter the proud, to humble the mighty, and send the rich away empty. Does that sound like good news? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's, it's a hard message of what's going on right here. Right? The, and and it, today we're actually looking at this idea of pride, that God scatters the proud. That's what God does. And what I'm going to propose to you today is that actually that's the best thing God could ever do for us. Because those of us who find ourselves in a position of pride find ourselves in prison. And we need freed from that prison. And God is ready to give us freedom. And he's ready to lead the proud into that freedom. And I believe one of the reasons why pr- pr- being proud is a prison is because all it does is it leads to frustration and exhaustion because what you're doing is you're setting yourself up over and against God. And guess what? God is almighty <laughs> and you are not. <laughs> who's going to win? Who's, got, who's the one who, who doesn't sleep at night? Who's the one who can go forever and ever? Not you, right? <laughs> not you. So it's going to lead to frustration. It's going to lead to exhaustion. It's going to lead to burnout because you're working against the mighty God. And today I want to give out the idea that really the, the principle of God is this principle of humility and, and humility leads to freedom and God wants to lead us there. So today we're going to look at how we can actually like, I'm not going to try, actually, I'm not going to try to convince you that you're proud because here's the deal. Those of us who are in the audience who are proud, what we'll do is we'll actually think that, that I'm talking about somebody else in the audience, right? It's like, man, I really need to send that to my neighbor. I need to, I'm going to, I'm going to Facebook message that to my wife. Right. And so, um, so I can't convince you that you're proud. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to assume that we're all proud and talk about really the folly, the logic of that pride. And then five ways in which humility can lead us to freedom. So we're going to head into that. Okay. So pride, the idea of pride, I know that when we say that, kind of, we have this idea in, in the way we use the word pride in our culture is that it's kind of like this positive self-esteem. Well, that's, that's not really the, the word or the, the way in which this word is being used in this passage where it says that God scatters the proud, right? It's, uh, it's this, this idea of arrogance, really. It's the negative view of pride, that it's like, I actually think that I am greater than the people around me. I have something that elevates me above somebody else. I'm more intellectual. I've got a quicker wit. I'm more athletic. I'm a doer. I'm insightful. I'm of a higher class. I'm from a a country that's a little more well-off than your country. I'm from a a culture or people that's a little bit more refined, right? Or whatever it might be, like 
you can, there, there's a lot of different categories in which you can think of yourself as greater or higher than somebody around you. It could be your traits, your skills, anything in which you feel like you are better than the people around you. Now, that is what pride is. Now, the, the thing about this passage, I think, is just extremely interesting is the fact that it doesn't say those who act proud is the, are the people that God is going to humble. Because we all know, we're, we, we're probably even just thinking about pride. We can all think of someone who acts proud, right? It's like there's, there's plenty. We, we're commemorating, you know, coming to the end of college football. And you see those, those players that you just are like, man, that guy. <laughs> he's got a chip on his shoulder, right? It's like he's got something to prove. Well, it's, it's not that, right, that, that even God is talking about here. It's, it says those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, right? We look at behavior. That's the only thing we can actually judge a person by. When we look at them, we, we see a certain way in which they act. That's not how God judges people. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So today, I'm not talking about behavior. You can actually, the fact is, you can actually be proud in your inmost thoughts and look on the outside like you're humble. That's just the truth. As we can put on a show and we're actually pretty good at that. But what God wants to do is he actually wants to bring freedom, not just to the way in which we behave, he wants to bring freedom to our hearts, to our, our souls, to our inmost thoughts. He wants to bring that. And the, the thing is, is he wants, he wants to change the way we think. He wants to change us from the inside out. It's not, though, it's, it's, it's one of those things that we all kind of fall into, though. We fall into this idea of being proud. In fact, uh, there's a, an, a dating site most of the weddings I do these days are couples that have been matched up on a dating site, right? And so there's this dating site that a few years ago, they, they put a report out because on their, on their report, they asked, are you a genius? Are you a genius? And 46% of men answered, well, if you're going to pin me down on this subject, I guess... I'd say I'm a genius. <laughs> More than two in five men. Now, the, 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 the statistics, okay, if of actual geniuses is more like one in a thousand, okay? So, <laughs> somehow, 46% of men, almost half of us, think we're geniuses. Now, it's also 30% of women, so you ladies don't, you know, <laughs> you're not off... <laughs> and, and, and this, this, say, this makes sense to me, right? This, this idea in which we are proud in our inmost thoughts. This is just how we are because what do we, what do we worship in our culture? We worship success, right? And then, and then when we talk about success, like how do you actually get success? Well, you think successful thoughts. So you need to imagine yourself, put yourself in your own mindset right now, and just think of yourself, and you've got five cars, and they're Bentleys right on, and you've got five Super Bowl rings on your fingers, and you're sitting here, and you're sitting in this, uh, this, this great you know, couch, and it's made out of buffalo leather. And uh, 
animal, you know, like uh, what, what, uh, tigers, I don't know. Like you, you've got two of them on each side of you, right? This is, this is how we think. Success, right? Just, I'm just trying to, what I'm trying to say is success in our culture equals significance. Success in our culture equals significance. So we start to think of ourselves in this certain sort of way in which elevates ourselves, and then we try to run after those things. It's the water in which we swim in our culture. And uh, so I, I don't blame anybody who, who's feeling like, wow, I'm, I'm above everyone, because I imagine myself to be above everyone. And that's the, which, the, the thing I'm working for. I want to be higher than everybody around me. I want to be part of the 1% or whatever that thing is. But <clears throat> what I want to suggest to you is that there's actually uh, a different way to find significance. And what we're swimming in is not actually water. Uh, we're swim, swimming in a different type of H2O, right? There's three different states to... H2O, right? And one of them is a frozen state. And so I, I would, I'd like to suggest that we're swimming in this thing that's like an avalanche, right? Um, this, this thing that's about ready to just take us out. And I, I bring this up because there's, uh, there's, in our country, there's about 30 people still a year that, that, that die from avalanche falls. And we, we're in snow country, right? And we even had uh, a guy who was part of our church last year that had a near miss. He somehow stayed on top of the snow and God protected him. It was amazing. Um, but this is a, a real thing that we, one of you might deal with. And they, they say when an avalanche happens, you know, and if you get caught up in it, you need to try to swim, right? But then if you get brought under... Uh, you need to try to get air, you know, get a pocket of air, get your hands in front of your face and try to keep air, an air pocket there, right? And, and then when you get to that, then just wait. But here's the reality is that they say wait, but they, the, the data says you have between 18 and 30 minutes before that little air pocket runs out and you asphyxiate. So if you realize there's no way nobody's ever going to get here in 18 to 30 minutes where I'm at right now, here's what a lot of people do. They start to dig Right? which they don't actually recommend. So I'm not, this is not good information on how to survive an avalanche, okay? I am not qualified for that. I'm just telling you what people do, okay? So people start digging. And the thing is, is that it's easy to get into the avalanche and to start to just be completely disoriented in the midst of it. And what, what we found is that a lot of these people who start digging actually start digging the opposite direction of what they think is up, Right? They, they, they start digging down or to the side. And even one case where there's a guy they found who had dug 30 feet through the snow in the wrong direction. And, and so you, have to, you actually have to get that air pocket in front of your face and you, then you gotta, you gotta spit, right? They say it's the spit. And if the spit falls down, then you gotta turn yourself around. Or if it hits you in the face, and then you know which way you got to go up. Or if it goes, you know, down, you, you, get the, you get the idea, right? I don't have to get this all laid out for you. Dig the right way. And I, and I think this is, this is the idea of uh, our culture when we're talking about the way in which we think the way to get up is by puffing myself up, by looking the part, by playing it all, 
by getting myself out there, by making my name known, by making myself successful, that's going to lead to a life of meaning, a life of significance, and God's saying, no, that does not lead to that. In fact, it leads to bondage, it leads to your own suffering, it leads to your relationships failing, and I got something more for you in store. So God says, hey, really, the way that you need to go is my way, and my way leads to freedom. My way will get you out of this avalanche. My way will get you out of the snow and get you back into the fresh air. So that's here what we're, we're looking for, we're trying to get to, right? Is trying to get to that fresh air. And the reason I think we like to go for this idea of pride is because we realize that there's a little bit of insignificance going on inside of us. And so pride is kind of like this way in which we are trying to project ourselves to hide that insignificance. Now, humility wants to free us from that as well. And, and this, this idea of pride coming out of this insignificance piece is, the Bible puts it this way. It says that pride comes before the fall. It's all throughout scripture in multiple places, actually. And so what arrogance does and what pride does is actually makes us try to seek worth where we do not have it. It's like that boss that kind of got promoted above their britches, right? And it's like they're trying to prove that they know what they're doing when they don't really know what they're doing, right? We've all kind of been in that place, right? Where we, we can have sympathy on that boss, where we're trying to just show, like, don't show a crack of weakness because if you do, then you're gonna, they're, they're gonna come after the blood, right? And so it's like, I gotta make it look like I know what's happening. But then... What happens is there's these other types of people who actually know what they're doing, right? Have you ever played the guy at ping pong where you're like, hey, are you any good? And he's like, I have played a couple times. And you're like, okay, I, I might be able to hang with this guy. And then you start playing and you're like, you know, you're kind of above average of ping pong. And then this guy comes at you and he's like putting spin on it and you hit the ball and it like hits the ceiling when you're like, what just happened here? You're like, you played that guy, right? He doesn't need to prove himself to you. He comes in, he's like, ah. I hate that guy, by the way, so don't do that to me. Um, <laughs> but pride does the opposite, right? It senses that there's a hollowness in my soul, and it works overtime to compensate. It works overtime to compensate for my weaknesses, because pride cannot show weakness, right? Pride cannot show weakness. It's like we're stepping out on this board that's like loosely secured behind us and every step we take over this, the edge of the cliffside, it's like it's not really going to hold us up for very long. We're overdrafting on our account after we lost our job. There's no way in which we're ever going to be able to pay this back. But we keep seeking after it, right? It's like there's this, um, this song, how many of you are a millennial? Okay, then you know Macklemore. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, so, you know, Macklemore, he's, uh, if you don't know Macklemore, I don't know where you've been. So, uh, he says, you know, you die twice, right? Once when they bury you in the grave, the second time is the last time somebody mentions your name. How many know that lyric? Okay, now you know. <laughs> that was a bad lyric to pull, evidently. So, we, we try, we try, we try to prove ourselves, to prove our worth. And, and really, then we get to the sense that we're never really gonna prove ourselves because 
no matter how great our name is, how many names are actually written in history that are going to make it? And then even the names that are written in history, how many of them have actually survived the millennium of time that we've had on this earth? Very few, right? That we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And we, we sense that even when we get to the top of whatever field we're going for, we get to the top and all we realize is that it's lonely. And that we've had to step on people and we've ruined our relationships to get there. Thomas Merton, he was a, a, a monastic, he says this, uh, there is no substance under the things with which my false self is closed. Uh, I wind experience around myself and cover myself with pleasure and glory like bandages in order to make myself perceptible to myself and to the world as if I only could become visible when something visible covers my surface. I am hollow and when my bandages are gone, there will be nothing left but my own nakedness, emptiness and hollowness. How many of us can resonate with that? We're sitting here going, really, what kind of substance is really left? And here's the deal is the Bible actually talks about this all the time. It isn't, it isn't actually shy to talk about this. I was in 1 Peter this week. And 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, it's, it's here. We can put it up on the screens. It says, all people are like grass. In all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass wither and the, uh, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. <laughs> okay, scripture's saying, you, 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 you are like grass. You're like your lawn. Um, <laughs> it was green a couple months ago, and it isn't anymore, right? It died and then next season, it'll come back and, and, and it'll do the same thing. And there's seasons to life. And your season is just a, like a little click and then it's gone, right? And it's funny, the, the Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about this all over the place. He, have, he actually says, you're like a mist. It's like, he talks about, it's like you're a vapor. It's like you, you could just spray a spray bottle out here and you just see the, 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 the mist come and it's going to go and it's going to go away. And was it even ever really there? It was just kind of a little mist that happened. And then it left. And even when we look back, like Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what did God make us out of? Yeah. He made Adam out of dirt. We're dust. We're a big pile of dust. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. We hear this in the words of Jesus even on the Sermon on the Mount. So what is this life we're living for? You know, it's so funny. The Bible loves to have these paradoxes. He puts uh, this insignificance next to extreme significance. Let's, the very verse before this, all people are like grass. 1 Peter 1.23, let's read that. It says this, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So there's a type of seed that is here today and gone tomorrow, right? It's the perishable seed. There's a part of us that will come today, will go tomorrow. Eventually, nobody in this whole earth will know our names anymore, will we'll vanish 
like anything else in the world, we're just here today and we're gone tomorrow, but there's this other thing, there's this imperishable seed that we can be born of. And then just a couple verses later, that's verse 24 and 25 are the last verses. The next couple verses of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, let me read those to you. As you come to him, living stones, you've been rejected by humans, but chosen by God. Did you catch that? Rejected by humans, but chosen by God. How does God think about you? What is the next word? Precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built. God is trying to build you up into something, into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Yes, we're dust, right? We're dust. But we're dust that's been, the breath that we've been breathed into is the breath of God. And God sees significance in you. And he keeps going. He says in verse nine, but you are a chosen people. A chosen people. Who has ever said something like that to you? God chose you. Out of all the people on the whole earth, he chose you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a part of the royal family, a holy nation. God's what? Special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. He called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He doesn't want you to sit in the darkness and the despair and the depression of thinking that you're just a little piece of grass that's going to come and it's going to go. You're a lily of the field. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. He doesn't want you to believe that. He wants you to live in his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. (laughs) Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, there's something about this. When we actually lower ourselves when we humble ourselves under God. Now, we can, we, can, we can raise up, right? We can puff ourselves up and we can come at God, but what does God do? He, oppo- he opposes the proud. He scatters the proud. He wants nothing to do with the proud, but when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, he fills us up. He takes our hollowness and he puts substance to it. God believes that we have worth, And that worth, that worth, man, it gives us freedom. (laughs) Gives us freedom. Gives us freedom to really live out this life that God has given us to live. And so I don't want to belabor this too much more, but I, I do have five reasons why we should actually be humble. Five things, and I've got to give the credit uh, to John Piper on some of these. This this is a a lot of really good stuff, but. Humility, the, the way in which it gives us freedom. Number one, humility gives freedom from needing the credit. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. <laughs> I've been crucified with Christ. I don't I don't need the credit because it's not my life anymore, right? I've been crucified with Christ and now I'm living a life under the Son of God. I'm one of his. 
I'm going to give him the credit. 1 Corinthians 1 talks about that. So God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us the wisdom of God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now this, this one is hard for me. This is a litmus test for me to see if my pride is in check because pride isn't just this thing you get under control once and then it's good to go for life, right? It's like this thing that it can easily creep in. First Peter also says that the devil is like a prowling lion looking for somebody to devour. Like this thing, it's, it's coming for you and you gotta be on the watch. You gotta be on the watch. I realize when I am not in a good place, I want the credit but I don't boast in myself when I'm a son of the most high God, right? I boast in the Lord. I didn't choose God, right? He chose me, right? Second point is this. Freedom, we have the freedom in humility. It gives, humility gives us the freedom to understand that everything is a gift from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 6 or 7 says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Paulos, for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go, go beyond what is written. Then you will not be, pull, not be puffed up in being a follower of one over against the other. For who makes one person different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And, what, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Here's the truth. Everything, and I, I mean everything, that you have, every gift that you have, every piece of intellect that you have, every piece of athletic ability that you have, every little piece of wit that you have, every ounce of good looks that you have, it's all a gift of God. And if you have a lot of those things, here's what you have to worry about. You gotta worry about pride, right? Because it's easy to think that everything is my own doing. No, it's a gift from God. Even the things you think you did, the gift of being a hard worker and to be able to actually stick through and study even though it sucks, like those things are a gift of God, right? And if you've got a few gifts, here's the other thing. If you feel like, man, I've only got a couple gifts. Like there's these people that have a lot of different gifts. They've got talents. They, they, they're, they're like, they're, they're smart. They're good looking and they're funny. How did they get that, Right? well, don't despair, right? What you have also is a gift of God. Don't fall into despair. So if you've got a lot, understand it's a gift from God. If you've got a little, understand it is a gift from God. Have gratitude. God wants to use you. Here's the third point. If we have humility, it gives us freedom to know that God is in charge. James 4, 13 through 17 says this. Now listen, you say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Remember, we've heard a lot of this. You're just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. And it is, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, 
It is sin for them. Here's the deal. Humility does not want to be in charge. Doesn't want to be in charge. And here's the deal. The other part of this freedom and happiness that comes when we actually give up the ability to be in charge. You know how hard it is to be the master of your own destiny all the time? It is exhausting when we talk about pride being a prison. This is, a, this is one of the things when I have to be the one who's in control of making all the right decisions for all the different things that come up in my life. How does that feel? It's overwhelming, right? It's like I, I went to, to Swaziland with the team, with Eswatini, and it was so cool. I just got to go there and I got to do what I was told. Day after day, I just went and I did exactly what other people told me to do. And I got like day, th- like day three after we we're in the, doing the clinics, I came back and I just had like the biggest smile on my face. And I was just like, why am I so happy? I just submitted myself to whatever other people told me to do. And it was awesome. <laughs> well, here's the deal. God actually wants to tell you what to do. And then he wants you to follow it. And guess what? There's freedom in that. Number four, we have freedom to receive grace. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 say this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Here's the deal. The root of humility is being forgiveness, forgiven by God, right? When we live in Christ, we have the freedom to receive his grace, to receive his goodness. Every perfect gift that we have is from above. It says that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. We, if we're going to ever live in the humility, it's, a, it's an attitude that has to be changed. It's not a behavior that has to be changed. It's an attitude that has to be changed. And if you're ever going to do that, You have to humble yourself and receive God's grace and God's forgiveness. He's ready and he's willing. And some of you are sitting here and you've never actually said yes. You come here all the time, or maybe this is your first time, but you're sitting here saying, man, I have never accepted the grace of God. I've never accepted his forgiveness. Today is an opportunity to do that. Here in just a minute, we're going to have prayer people on either side. And I want you to know, you can come down and we would love to pray for you to accept God's grace and forgiveness in your life because he wants you to experience freedom. He wants to set you free from the guilt and the pain and the shame that you've been experiencing for years. He wants to give you freedom from that. And the last point is this. We have the freedom and humility to serve Number one, and then to believe that that service is actually true greatness. We're talking about significance here. There's nothing significant about making my life about me. The way that Jesus made his life significant, he says in Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight, as he said this, or Paul said this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others, above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say that Jesus humbled himself. He became a servant. If you want to have significance, if you want to have greatness, and if you want to have freedom in your life, humble yourself and become a servant. 
And guess what a servant has to do? What do you got to do to pick something up? If you want to pick another person up. If I want to, I, I like to do deadlifts. If I, okay, if I'm going to do a deadlift, what do I got to do? Got to get low, right? Got to get down. If you're going to pick somebody else up, you cannot do that from standing up. You might hurt your back if you do that, okay? Lift with your legs, okay? No, um, you got to get down. I, this, this passage, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. He served. And he said that that service, that's true greatness. That's what the greatest in my kingdom looks like. It looks like a servant. So we're closing out right now, and I just want to invite the band on up. I want to reiterate the fact that if you're never accepted Jesus, or if you need to accept his grace new today, at the end of the service, we're going to have people to pray on both sides of the, the, the auditorium. We'd love to pray for you. But I also want to just want to, here in a minute, I want to pray for all of us who have already accepted that grace. And I want to ask you to consider doing something, and that something is to repent of your pride and your selfishness. To confess it to Jesus and to ask him to help you get on a path of freedom towards humility. A path that is actually going to get you out of this snow that's been burying you, this thing that feels like a prison. God wants to release you of that. He wants to help you in that process. And so let's just go ahead and pray. God, we come to you now. Lord, and we just confess. We confess our sin. We confess... I confess that I believe that I deserve the credit, God. I believe that I do the work. Lord, I believe that the gifts are mine. <laughs> Lord, and I try to mask my insignificance with my own flashiness or whatever. Lord, I just pray we can all confess, Lord, that there's nothing. It's just so hollow, God. And what we want to do today, God, is we just want to get onto your path. Lord, you came. Lord, Mary talks about the Messiah coming down. Lord, we're anticipating the arrival, celebrating the arrival of Jesus. He's coming to give us life. He's coming to give us peace. He's coming to give us freedom. And I pray today that you would give us humility to accept you as our God. Lord, to come around each other and to serve one another, to lift each other up. Lord, we lift this up to you today and we thank you for your love. We pray this in your name. Amen.